listen, and I shall tell you many tales. Come in here, that you may know when all belief fails. A short one today, a parable of sorts, if you will. Was there ever a greater gift than the gift of life? One could possibly argue that death, a release from life, to be the greater gift. But that is an argument for another day. Today is about a woman I once knew, named Tara Salt. 
Hmm. Truly one of the most remarkable people I ever knew. And if ever a person can be called extraordinary, it would be she. She'd grown up comfortably, never cradled in the lap of luxury, yet certainly never worried about being fed. She basked in the glow of her parents' love and affection, which was a constant source of light in the unyielding darkness of existence. But what made her special wasn't how she started. It was how she finished. She was a young woman at the time, unsure of herself, yet with a will so strong, any obstacle would recede and evacuate at her advance. She was a lover of all things natural. She craved the feeling of virgin grass against her bare skin, the embrace of the wind sweeping down the mountains across the plains, and the kisses of raindrops on her face. She could grasp in her hand a stone plucked from a river and rub and caress it for hours, marveling at the process which had shaped and smoothed it over a million years. She would stand calf-deep in the same river, feeling the water flow through her. And she would open like a flower, delicate and ambrosial, when the sun draped itself over her shoulders and around her arms and between her legs. She had very little interest in people. She accepted their presence with grace, yet seemed rather indifference to their toiling. <laughs> that is, until they started demanding things from her. She always had a generous spirit, and so it was hard for her to deny any reasonable request. Even the unreasonable she found herself unable to refuse with enough prodding. But no matter what she gave, invariably, more was demanded. And so it was no real surprise to her when one day she discovered herself to be pregnant. The father's identity a mystery to her. Not that it was very important. One man was as all men to her. And she had no need of men to live her life, nor care for her child. And so she withdrew from those who would demand of her to carry her child to term. She lived in her parents' mountain cabin, high above the grime of the metropolis below, where she could breathe clean air, drink clean water, and eat clean food. She painted and played music and read beautiful poetry and prose to her child in utero. She used a falcon she'd raised from birth that named Binu to hunt for small game. As her child grew, and she grew with it, the clothes she'd brought with her could no longer contain her, so she took to living in the nude, a state she'd always preferred but was always too modest to embrace before now. The day came. Her waters broke. She was ready to give birth. She put some towels down on the bed and positioned herself to birth her child. It was the greatest pain she'd ever experienced, 
but she found herself in a state of euphoric grace. She made her final push and it emerged into the world. But her child wasn't like other children. There were not ten fingers and ten toes. No chubby arms and legs dangling freely from its trunk, taking its first breaths of air. It had a face, but not the features one expects. There was no mouth to cry its first cry, no nose to wrinkle, and no eyes nor eyelids to squint through at the first blinding light of life. Instead, upon its face was found mountains, canyons, rivers, vast oceans, and pure, untouched green forever. As she held her child in her arms, her perfectly round child, dense and heavy, she couldn't be sure she hadn't fainted from the pain of the birth, so she pinched herself to see if she was dreaming. It hurt. This was real. She had given birth to a new world. It should go without saying that Tara was completely in the dark about how to care for her new child, sought no colostrum, had no thirst for milk. She was somewhat wary of it despite her inherent affection, keeping it close but observing it from a distance. It had not the ability to communicate its wants and needs, if it had any, even in the most basic and instinctual human way had no mouth to cry, no lungs to scream. But it was perfectly clear to Terra when it needed sustenance, for its natural luminance, which it exuded even in dark, would dim, tarnish. The first time it happened, Terra fell sick with worry. Finally, she pulled it close to her and embraced it just as she would have had it been a human child seeking the natural comfort of its mother's arms. And cradled there, in her arms, close to her heart, it began to regain some of its luster. Tara closed her eyes, created a vision of herself in her mind, glowing with a warm and enveloping aura of energy, a force of utter benevolence and love that flowed around and through every morsel of her body, 
and in her arms was her child. She envisioned that pure and nectarly energy flowing down from herself and enveloping and satiating her child, which absorbed it like a dry sponge. And when she opened her eyes, it was dull no longer. It had been fed. And Tara kept feeding it this way, holding it close, channeling her life force into her child, which grew rapidly. From the size of a mere grapefruit, it had already grown to the size of a watermelon after only a week. A week after that, it had grown far too heavy for Tara to lift herself, though that didn't really matter, because it was now floating gently two or three feet in the air. Eventually, Tara was stretching her arms wide in order to embrace and feed it, and her child's growth did not leave her unaffected. The natural laws of force and its opposite somehow still applied to her in some way. For as her child grew, Tara seemed to shrink and age. Her youthful vitality had seemingly been transferred to the floating mass, leaving her with sunken eyes and cheeks and a thin, withered skin draped over a now brittle frame. But still... She fed her child. Still she gave it her essence, her energy. And eventually, she gave it her life. Well, Cabin had long since crumbled to the outward pressure of the growing world, which at that point was bigger than the cabin had been at by a significant margin. Tara's bed was still standing, and she spent most of her time lying in it trying to recover from the total depletion of her child's feedings, which had whittled down to only once per day. Any more than that, and she'd have expired even sooner than she did. It was a beautiful autumn day, but a chill was starting to garnish the air, and the horizon was blurred with the haze of a distant forest fire, which spread with the hunger of a starved beast. But her concern was with a different hunger. She hobbled out of her bed in the late afternoon, bathed in the deep, sanguine light of the smoky dusk, and upon her hands and knees she crawled beneath her child, which by this time was as large as an oil barge, but still floated, just a few feet off the ground. Now this may or may not have been due to the frail state into which she had fallen, but Tara had noticed that it had begun to have its own pull, and that when she was in very close proximity to it, it became an effort, slight though it may have been, but still an effort, to return to the gravity of our own world. She stayed on her knees, but raised herself up, so that her child's great mass was resting behind her head on her shoulders and her back, and lifted her hands up to grasp it as best she could. She began to feel herself stretch, her top half being pulled up by its force, and all below her waist being pulled back down to us. She gave the last of herself, like a piece of fruit that's given all of its juice, flesh, and seed, then is pressed for the oil of its rind. She fell asleep, still clutching her child, and she never woke.
but she did not fall. The force of her child's pull held her up between the two worlds. Her body had withered and dried to have the look and feel of a husk from a long-forgotten harvest. But even after giving all of herself to her child, it was not sated. And if it had no volunteer, it would conscript its provider. And what better provider has there ever been than the earth upon which its mother and her ilk had fed for so long? It began to gulp in the wind, the sun, and the heat within the earth, and it continued to grow. Soon it was on par with the mountains that surrounded it, and it devoured those mountains. Many people tried to study it, confounded by the world growing like a seedling from our own, but found themselves drained if they ventured too close. So as it continued to grow, people migrated from it. Soon it was as big as the moon, but still it had not had its fill. Finally, its own mass had grown to match our own world, a mirror held up in the great void, but now unwitnessed by humanity, who had fled to the opposite side of the earth, fearful of its great hunger. The impact on our own world was devastating. Oceans drained as fickle water rushed every which way it could around the more stalwart lands to find its way to appease the pull of Terrasalt's child. The moon had broken to pieces, was now dust among the dirt of Terrasalt's child. And eventually, it had grown so large that it was constantly visible above the horizon for almost the whole of the human hemisphere. And finally, after the earth had cracked and spilled its molten blood, and after most of the overabundance of life on earth had been consumed, Terrasalt's child had grown so great and its pull so strong that what remained of our world shattered and fell with fury into its open maw, being pulverized and absorbed, becoming but a small piece of the vast landscape of the new world. Please consider these things in your judgments and listen to the music of the inimitable Masako, whose notes dance to the turning of the earth.